We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Fihi Ma Fihi, the Faxton edition. And, okay, let's continue right on page two, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It occurs to me to interpret a verse of the Quran, even if it is not pertinent to this discussion. Anyway, since it occurs to me now, I may as well say it out. God said, O prophet, say unto the captives who are in your hands, if God hath known any good to be in your hearts, he will give you better than what hath been taken from you. And he will forgive you, for God is gracious and merciful. Okay, so a couple points here. Number one, this whole point that sounds almost, what's the word, um, spontaneous, where he says, you know, okay, it occurs to me to talk about this. Now, think about, you know, you know what we mean by stream of conscience thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you go from here to there to there to there. Uh, one idea is that there's still a consistency, right? So I'm thinking about this, that leads me to think about that, that leads me to think about another thing. Uh, but there might be still a continuous thread from start to finish. Likewise with how the suras are structured. So someone who's not familiar with the style of a sura, especially the bigger suras, will find themselves thinking, okay, this is just so disorganized. First it talks about this, then it talks about that, then it talks about the other thing. But part of the principle we have is that there is um, something that does run through it consistently. And part of the challenge, this is the type of stuff that Noman really focuses on, right? You know, what is the underlying consistency from start to finish? And so here we have three stories that might be very different, but there are consistencies that we're going to look for. Um, Sad question. Were the... The order of the suras, those were not like revealed. Like who put them in? Order? So so basically, it's looked at uh, as the prophet peace be upon him put them in order. Okay. So it would have been overseen by Jibril Islam, if not uh, instructed by Jibril Islam. And what I think is also fascinating is try to imagine that ongoing process. So when the prophet peace be upon him first receives wahi, it's five ayahs, right, from Surah Al-Alaq. Then he receives a few more, and so the whole Quran is like 20 ayahs, okay? And try to imagine what that Quran is then, right? Muzammil, Muddathir, Alaq, right? Um, or pieces of those, I should say. And then, you know, after after a year, maybe the whole Quran is like 50 ayahs, right? And then after like six years, the whole Quran might be 300 ayahs, but most of them are short. But try to imagine that being the whole book, okay? And then you add another piece right in the middle here, and now you add another piece, and now you add another piece. Uh, I think it would be fascinating to explore that uh, the Quran that way. Yeah. But, is that yeah. what Ustad is doing, like approaching it from a different way? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he, he does like 6,000 things, much or less, so, so it's probably somewhere in his work, yeah. So, so yeah. And so, then, um, uh, uh, now, with a person, the screen of consciousness, what is also assumed... Uh, if teaching is taking place, that the intention is consistent. Okay? So the intention here is to teach. Okay? And it should be assumed that the, uh, that the teacher has a pure heart in addition to knowledge. Okay? And so that's why he is not hesitant to share. Okay? Especially if an ayah is coming to mind. Okay? If an ayah is coming to mind, you can default with the assumption that it is uh, beneficial. Of course... Maybe my goal is to impress you and make you think I know a lot, right? But do you see the point that I'm making? We're talking basically about the structure of these discourses, that they, w- they might seem to change subject matter, 
but there is a consistent um, um, uh, point, um, even if it seems like things are just spontaneously developing. And then you're relating back, that back to the order of the Quran, so you're saying just yes. like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, or even the content of each surah. Okay, and so the ayah itself is the context. They have these captives, and so the prophet, peace be upon him, is being said, is being told, tell them, okay, if Allah knows good in your heart, he's going to give you better than what you have, okay, and he's going to forgive you, okay? And, and so what is that implying? If you embrace the prophet, peace be upon him, meaning in our language, if you become Muslim, he's going to give you better than what's been taken from you. So what's been taken from them? Their freedom, and in many cases, their wealth. Okay. So what is being told to these prisoners? If you just become Muslim, you're going to get everything back and more. Not necessarily in this life. Correct. Well, let's see what it says here. Okay, let's continue. The reason for the revelation of this verse is as follows. The blessed prophet had defeated the infidels. Having slain and plundered, he took many prisoners and had them bound hand and foot. Among these prisoners was his uncle Abbas, <clears throat> All night long, the prisoners wailed in their fetters and bemoaned their miserable, wretched condition. Having given up all hope, they were waiting for the sword to end their lives, and the Prophet saw them and left. Okay, so, so also to add dimension to this, these are the Quraysh, right? These are the people who are used to being the dominant people of Arabia, right? They're the dominant tribe for, for generations, and now they're in prison, and now they just want to die. So they've fallen into despair, yeah. And the Prophet, peace be is looking at them and laughing. Now, his laugh might just be a big, wide smile. Great. Right? Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's see what happens next. You see, they said, he does have humanity in him. The claim that he is not human is untrue. For here, seeing us in these bonds and fetters as, as his prisoners, he rejoices exactly as a carnal man would rejoice in glee if he had conquered his enemy and seen him vanquished. Okay, so what are they saying? saying that he was just a normal, ordinary person. There's nothing special about him because yeah. he's happy that he's finally captured the people who he... Yeah, exactly. For so long. Yeah, so his companions are describing him as a superhuman being. And the Quraysh is saying, ha, he's no different than us. Right? And he's going to wipe us all out. Um, and so this is almost like the fox and the grapes. You know, sort of the fox and the grapes, right? So this fox sees these grapes dangling from, from a vine and jumps into, wait, do grapes grow in vines or trees? Vines, I think. Grapevine. Grape yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so he's jumping up trying to reach them, but he can't. And he keeps trying and trying and he can't. So then he just says, okay, those grapes are probably sour. Okay. And, and so that's where the line sour grapes comes from. Right. And so what they're also saying on the one hand is... Uh, okay, look, he's just like us because he's laughing, getting ready to devour us. But this is also like they're trying to rationalize their loss, right? To, this is like their last dig at the prophet, peace be upon him. You know, they're assuming they're going to they're gonna die. So their last dig is to say, well, you're not really anything special. Okay? And the prophet is busy laughing, and then he's going to explain why he's laughing. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The prophet, however, read their thoughts and said, Oh no, I'm not laughing because I see my enemies vanquished or because I'm rejoicing at seeing you at loss. I'm laughing because with my inner eye I see myself forced to drag with chains and fetters a group of people out of hell's fiery furnace and black smoke into the eternal garden of heavenly paradise. Keep on. They are bewailing and lamenting, saying, 
Why are you taking us away from this place of perdition into that asylum and rose bower? That is why I'm laughing. Because why is he laughing? Because he's trying, because he's taking people from some place that was bad and some place that was good, and those people are like, why are you taking me to this place that's yeah. good? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, I always give my daughters a story of, of some point when they're really little, and I was going to feed them some orange chicken, okay? And, like, there's not cultural issues against orange chicken, but, but um, the, uh, they didn't want it. They're like, you know, they're almost crying. You know, I don't want to eat this. I don't want to eat this. Then I just got them to finally take a bite, and then suddenly they transformed. They're like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever had. <laughs> why, didn't you, why have you been hiding this from us, right? And so this is uh, the interesting thing about human nature, right? We can see something that we know is good for us, that we even know we're going to like. And sometimes we're still going to say no. Sometimes we're still going to rebel against it. And this is, and the prophet peace on him is laughing at the absurdity, right? You guys know me, okay, meaning the prophet peace be upon him. You've known me my whole life. You know I only speak the truth. You agree that the Quran could not have been written by man, right? And I'm not even calling you to anything new. I'm calling you back to the religion of our forefathers, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Ismail alayhi salam, right? Hajar alayhi salam. And... <clears throat> I mean, you understand it all, and still you're saying no. You want to drag yourself into hell. I'm, to dr I'm trying to drag you into paradise. Okay. And that's the absurdity. And this is a central theme of the entire book. That a central uh, theme of the whole Sufi outlook is to see reality for what it is, which means to think more straight. That's what the other book was about. That I read. Dun, 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 Awareness dun. by Anthony Dumelo. It was oh, all about that. It was just about, like... Seeing reality for what it really is and but not that's, being disillusioned. That's pretty much this whole book. Wow. <laughs> so maybe you don't have to read it, we're done. <laughs> Mission accomplished, mashallah. Okay. So yeah, and then further is a few other uh, uh, secondary points here. Uh, what does the Prophet, peace be, upon, peace be upon him, have access to with another person? So can the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, read another person's heart? What do you think? So aside from whatever's said here. Yes. It seems that he definitely, at the very least, has such a level of insight that he can look at you and get a sense of your spiritual condition. Now, there's an ayah in Surah Tawbah, and I forgot where it is specifically, that mentions, or from which we can infer, that there's sometimes he doesn't know who the hypocrites are. Yeah. There's sometimes we know in narrations he definitely does. Right? So there's a famous narration where he tells Hudayfa, X, Y, Z, that person, those are hypocrites, monophics, don't tell anyone. Right? And don't tell anyone. Why does he tell him? Uh, it might be something related to strategy, like, you know, like Hudayfa's role in oh, this particular right. situation. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so at the very least, the prophet piece of him can probably see it on a person. You know, just like when you, when you see a 10-year-old or a 5-year-old who might be trying to fool you, but you can see right through that person, right? And part of it is because you know your own experiences from that age, but part of it is that you're, you're much older and you have a better understanding of these things. And in that way, the prophet is like that for us. Yeah. And maybe he also has insights beyond that, right? Uh, I remember uh, coming across a person who could smell particular sins on people. Me too. Really? In California. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe it's the same well, person. Well, no, he was visiting from okay. Mauritania. That's the person in America, yeah. Oh, okay. And he would even describe the sins as smelling like sewage. Right. And, and so, yeah, there are some gifts that Allah Ta'ala gives to people like that, right? And, and then what else is he speaking about? He's speaking about his inner eye, 
that. And a way for our language to think about that is when you're really looking at reality versus what your physical eyes are looking at. So, they don't see reality as it is. Right. Yeah. But you said that they do. They're just not... So, they're, they're, so it's like they recognize it, and yet they're still blind. Okay. Meaning, uh, think about Abu, Abu Jahl uh-huh. and Abu Sufyan. Yeah, stubbornness is probably the best way to describe this. Okay. That, you know, it's someone who's, who's standing at a cliff, and they see... Um, um, or let's put it like this. They see like this gigantic volcano coming behind them, the lava of the volcano. And the cliff, uh, over the cliff is, is let's say, just a, a whole bunch of pillows, and they know they're going to be safe. Yeah. They don't want to jump. And they see this lava is getting closer and closer and closer. That's probably the weirdest example <laughs> ever, right? And it's like they're pretending like, no, the, the lava's not going to reach us. So that's kufr, to be in denial. So they see it right in front of them, and they're still in kufr. This is Iblis. Iblis is even talking to Allah Ta'ala. And he's saying no. And that's the strange thing about human nature. Iblis is being in denial. Like, of, of, of just, you know, Allah's authority. And I thought his problem was more like arrogance. Yeah, and so he hid behind arrogance. Okay. So like the root company. was... Root, well, there's a number of theories for what the root is. One theory is that it's jealousy, that Allah Ta'ala was making Adam alayhi salam the Khalifa. Because if you look at that conversation in the, in the, the, fir, or the, 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 the first narration of the story in Al-Baqarah, yeah. uh, when the angel is saying, you know, are you going to create someone who's going to shed blood where all we do is praise you, glorify you, what is inferred by some people from that is that the angels are saying, you know, aren't we most qualified for this? You know, why is there a need to create someone else? They're just going through the logic. Okay. We do everything you tell us, so why do you need a, someone else to be a Khalifa? And then uh, from other commentaries, what's understood is that uh, Azazil felt he should have been the Khalifa. And there's many other stories of various levels of authenticity. Like, you know, there's a big war among the jinns, and then he created peace, and things like that. So he felt he should have been the Khalifa, and so when he's seeing Adam being formed, he's just furious, out of jealousy, right? So when it came time for the sajda, the angels listened, because that's what they do, and Azazil could have said, well, the sajda is not for me, or the sajda is not for me, it's for angels, right? Or maybe I only do sajda to Allah, but instead he says, no, I'm better than him. And so what's the fuel that leads him to hide behind arrogance may have been jealousy. And jealousy is sort of a a type of denial because jealousy is saying Allah does not have the right to give something to someone else that he gives to me. And this is the strange thing about human nature. You can see it right in front of your eyes and you still pretend like it's not there. Okay, let's continue. That is why I'm laughing, since you still... Oh, that is why I'm laughing. Since you still do not have the power of vision to comprehend and see clearly what I am saying. God commands me to say this to you. First, you gathered many hosts and much might, and relying totally upon your own strength, valor, and might, you told yourselves that you would do thus and so, and would utterly vanquish the Muslims. Okay. So he's saying, look, you can't see straight. You know, 
And one of the reasons you can't see straight, one of the reasons you can't see clearly, is you thought power was in your strength. Good. You thought power was in your might. This is just like the brothers of Yusuf, alayhi salam, you know, saying to each other, okay, why does our father love him when we're so big and strong? And the point is that, okay, you guys don't understand. Okay. And, and so, this is what's taking place here. You guys don't get it. You guys think, you guys thought you were going to win by just having the, 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 the larger, tougher army. Okay. But power belongs to Allah. So this is the next sentence. You thought. Um, you thought no one was stronger than you. You could not imagine anyone mightier than yourselves. Now that you, now that all you had planned has turned out otherwise, and now that you lie trembling in fear, you have not repented of your malady and are in desperate straits. So you see what's going on? They thought, <clears throat> how could we possibly lose? Because you remember Bother, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, we've taught it, we're taught it a million times in Sunday school and beyond. It's, you know, a thousand to thirteen hundred well-armed people against three hundred poorly armed Muslims. And so they thought they were guaranteed. There's no way we can lose this. And so that became a source of arrogance. And think of arrogance as like a balloon, as a shield. What I mean by that, taqwa as a shield, means that you have this deep trust in Allah. Okay? That no matter what hits you, you're going to be fine. Because when we use the term shield, what does that imply? That thing's going to be hitting you. Okay? Arrogance is like using a balloon as your shield. And what happens when the balloon pops? What happened with them? that now they're just in fear and they still don't want to repent and now they're falling into despair. And that's what arrogance does to a person. Arrogance gives you the illusion like you're telling yourself you have superiority but you're empty inside. You got nothing to, to back it up with. So they're being arrogant like even when they're at their strongest and their weakest yeah. too. Because that's, that's their defense mechanism. Like when they're saying about the Prophet, you're no better than us. That's a statement of arrogance. Right? Of someone who's a prisoner. Yeah. There's, a, uh, uh, there's this goofy movie called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. And it's basically, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a comedy version of the legend of King Arthur. Yeah. And there's this one scene where King Arthur uh, is walking through the forest and he meets the Black Knight, who's like this knight that everyone is afraid of. And King Arthur, with his sword, he's really clumsy, and he keeps, you know, hitting the Black Knight, knocks off his arms, okay. and then... Wait, the, he's really clumsy? Yeah. Oh, okay. it's, it's a comedy. Oh, okay. Right. And, you know, he hits the Black Knight with his swords, knocks off his arms. And the Black Knight is saying, okay, this is just a flesh wound. Come on, fight me. And he's trying to kick him now, because uh, he can't hold a sword. And then King Arthur, you know, almost accidentally knocks off the Black Knight's legs. And so now the Black Knight is just sitting there as a stump with no arms and no legs. And he keeps saying to King Arthur, come on, be a man, fight me. Right? Even though he has no way to fight. And it's just absurd. But the point is, that's what you have here. You have these people who are, who are in prison. They've lost this battle. And they're still trying to, you know, be tough with the Prophet, peace be upon him. But they're in deep despair. Yeah, that's how human nature is. And another way to think about it is that even though we might grow up into adults, we still behave like children. Because it's the behavior of children. 
if you think of the maturity of the Iblis, it's basically he behaves like a child. You know? Then in theory, you'd like to think that as we get older, we mature, and a lot of people don't. But if you look at it from their perspective, what yeah. if they were just holding on to their faith, and they were just being strong? And mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're being told, yeah, your faith didn't work. The but like the, Muslims, they find themselves in unfortunate situations too, and yeah. like when they get low, they uh-huh. remain strong, and... And they don't say, like, oh, okay, I'm going to agree with you because now that I'm weak and debased. Okay. Some do, but uh, some will still turn to Allah. But a, th- a way to think about this, your example, is Ohad, right? So the Muslims were about to win Ohad, and then the archers leave. Okay? And then this is when Khalid bin Walid's forces come in and wipe everybody out. And then what, to, what does Allah say to them? Okay, in that moment, the love of dunya was greater for you than the love of Allah, right? And so, if I'm a Muslim and I get debased, part of the test there is, do I maintain my love of Allah? Or is it my love of dunya that is leading me to define myself as debased, and then I fall into despair? See what I'm saying? So yeah, your point is fair, that maybe they're just holding on to their faith, but that's not what their conduct is is illustrating. They're not saying our gods are still going to protect us. Right? They're saying, yeah, it's over. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, let's continue. Mm, You still cannot conceive that anyone could be more powerful than you are. It is therefore necessary for you to see me in my might and power and yourselves as subject to my wrath in order that things may be made easy for you. Uh Do not despair of me in your fear, for I am able to deliver you from this fear and lead you to safety. He who can bring forth a black cow from a white one can bring forth a white cow from a black one. Okay, so what is the prophet piece what I'm saying here? To them. Do you think that I had to become more powerful and strong than you guys so that you would be able to see that you're not in control? Mm-hmm. Of that? Yeah, so some people, for their heart to open up to Allah, need to hit rock bottom. Uh, not everyone, but some people do. Right? They need to hit rock bottom. It could be from a dunya perspective. It could be from an internal perspective um, for their heart to finally open. Okay. Other people, for their heart to open to Allah, they need to hit, they reach the top level of dunya. Okay. People are designed differently. And so in this case, these are people who needed to hit rock bottom, okay. which is the situation they're in right now, that maybe finally their hearts will open up to Allah. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying, do not despair of me. I can deliver you from this and bring you to safety. And Allah, the one who can make a black cow come from a white one, a white one from a black cow, he can make it happen. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, was saying, look, the door is open for you right now. This is your chance. Abu Bakr is one of those unique cases where what did he need for his heart to open up? He just needed to hear the truth and done. Right? Omar, uh, what did it take for his heart to open up? Uh, you know, he finds out about his sister, and that's probably the first step that opened up his heart, the fact that his sister is embracing this, even though he was upset. And then he sees what she is reading, and then, you know, the case closed. Right? And so... This is what these people uh, may have needed. And so let's uh, uh, continue with the ayah. 
He causeth the night to succeed the day, and he causeth the day to succeed the night. He bringeth forth the living out of the dead, and he bringeth forth the dead out of the living. So what seems to be uh, the message given by citing these ayahs? That something completely opposite can yes. come from. Yeah, that Allah Ta'ala, as illustrated by making the night turn into day, day turn into night, and the living from the dead, dead from the living, Allah Ta'ala has the power to make things become their opposites. Right? Like with the example of the cow. So right now you are in the worst possible place, shape in dunya. Allah Ta'ala can bring you to the top. So, so continue. Now in your present state as prisoners, despair not of my presence in order that I may take you by the hand. For none despaireth of God's mercy except the unbelieving people. Okay, so explain that. That having no hope in God makes you an unbeliever. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that you are by definition an unbeliever. That's the behavior of, of a kafir. Right? Because that's Iblis, Right? That's why he's called Iblis. He gave up or he separated himself. And so the point is that even if I don't even know if God is there, I should still have hope. Wait, how is Iblis lack of hope? So Iblis, so think of the story of Iblis alayhi salam. Subhanallah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So think of, uh, uh, because I want to say Iblis al-Rajim, and think of Adam alayhi salam. Um, What's the contrast? What's the difference between their two stories? Adam is Islam and Hawa Islam. They go to the tree. They feel oh, remorse. They seek forgiveness. Okay, okay. Yeah, Iblis doesn't seek forgiveness, okay. right? And Wait, but that could just be arrogance. Yeah. So Thus, he doesn't. See. It's not. So I'm saying Iblis doesn't have hope because okay. the arrogance, his arrogance, is not letting him have it. But what if he has hope, but he's just too arrogant to do it? That's the point. His arrogance is overriding his hope. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does definitely have hope uh, in, in the wrong thing. So this is the, the cool thing of uh, Iqbal's poem, which if we have time, we, we'll go through at some point. Iblis ki manjus ashura. So the devil's parliament. Uh, Iblis is talking to all of his minions. You know, what have we done? What do we need to do? And he makes this subtle point that, all right, we have to make sure Islam doesn't rise. Okay. Why? Because uh, that means... That's the end of time, and then the day of judgment is coming, and then Iblis goes to hell. So Iblis's basic goal, on the one hand, is to take us all down, but to do it in such a way to delay the day of judgment as much as possible, because then he's going to hell. So he has hope that he can delay the, the day of judgment. So his vengeance wants to take us all down. Okay. So... So, what is the despair in the Rahmah of Allah? Okay. And so, so, the point is that a person should still always try to have hope in the Rahmah of Allah, okay. no matter what their level of faith is. Right. How would you tell someone who doesn't have hope to have hope? Um, it depends. If the person has come to you, right, this is a conversation I have with a lot of students, you know, who are struggling with faith. If they've come to me, then I tell them, because that by definition means you have hope. Otherwise, you would have given up completely. And so that's the seed that you start with. Right? Yeah. It's a good seed to start with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So in a way, he's saying basically, have 
hope. You're giving up all hope, which is what happens when you take down the wrong path. So suppose, you know, you're camping in the middle of a forest and then you lose all of your supplies and you can't even tell, let's say it's even, you know, bad weather, you can't even tell which way is which. Um, And you don't even know if anyone's nearby. Are you going to fall into despair and just give up? Or still have hope? Like Hajar had, you know, sitting in this barren valley, you know, with her baby. And so that's the point. That is what life is, that you're in the middle of this wilderness. And and never, ever give up on hope in Allah, no matter how low things seem to be. Even if I feel like I don't even know if Allah's there, I should still even then not give up hope in Allah. So is hope necessarily tied to action then? Because if you just sit there in the dark, but you still have hope that someone will find you? Uh, hope is not necessarily tied to action, but it can be a fuel for action. Because that gets back into the story of Haja, that she could have just sat there convinced that Allah's dollar is going to give her her risk, but she knew she had to get up and look for it. And then how does she find it? Because she's setting her baby on the ground, he's kicking on the ground, and then it unleashes Zumzum. If she just sat there holding him, then no one would have kicked on the ground. Right? So, yeah. Okay, uh, what time is it? 11.15. Okay, let's stop right here then. Okay. Um, and so we'll continue with this paragraph at the bottom of page 3. Okay. Alright, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil